Hello, this is Cynthia Swan, and today I have a special, a healthy option special with Dr. Suzanne Humphreys, and we're going to be discussing vitamin C. Dr. Suzanne Humphreys is a conventionally educated medical doctor with a bachelor's degree in physics from Rutgers University and a medical degree from Temple University. She became increasingly aware of the failures of the medical profession over her 15-year career. Unsatisfied with the fact that doctors are largely trained to prescribe drugs and hunt down disease while their patients continue to get sicker, she sought information from outside of convention. After learning more harmless and less toxic healing modalities, she left her position at Eastern Maine Medical Center, where she worked as a nephrologist. She has moved beyond mainstream medicine and is utilizing non-toxic means, including nutrition, vitamin C, ozone therapy, and homeopathy to help restore health in those who seek her assistance. Her refinement and implementation of the vitamin C whooping cough treatment has been helpful to children all over the world. She sits on the board of directors for the International Medical Council on Vaccination and lives and practices in Midcoast, Maine in the United States. Dr. Humphreys can be reached through her website at drsuzanne.net. Let me spell Suzanne for you. So it's D-R-S-U-Z-A-N-N-E dot net. She has also authored a book on the history of vaccination entitled Dissolving Illusions that will be available on Amazon by February of 2013. And again, Dr. Humphreys, you can get a hold of her at her website, drsuzanne.net. Welcome, Dr. Humphreys. Thank you, Cindy. Thanks for having me here. Let's dive in. What is vitamin C? How does it work? Okay. Well, vitamin C is a water-soluble vitamin, and it's basically a nutrient that is rather complicated, actually. It has cofactors involved with it, but the most essential part of vitamin C is the ascorbic acid part of it. Now, if you were to eat foods that contain high amounts of vitamin C, you would get much more than the ascorbic acid part of it. The problem with, with doing that is that when we need mega doses of vitamin C because we're depleted or we're infected or we have um, cancer or some other need for it, you basically have to fill this room up with oranges and eat every last one of them. You, it's just impossible Massive to get amounts. the mega doses that, that, that we require. So in order to do that, we've, and I think this is one of the one extractions of nutrients that I'm firmly in support of because it just has such a history of success and that there's no known toxic side effect to it, even in mega doses, even in using 100,000 to 200,000 milligrams intravenously per day in people who really need it. Now the key is that people, what are people's needs for vitamin C? Now, if you're living in a pristine environment and say you're back in Eden, certainly the RDA uh, recommended 75 to 90 milligrams would be plenty for you. However, none of us are living in that environment anymore and we're subject to all kinds of um, emotional stresses. We've got toxic stresses in the environment through pesticides and the air that we're breathing, um, any sort of uh, Viral or bacterial infection is another stress. And so all these oxidative stresses in our bodies are what increase our requirement. What makes human beings unique as our guinea pigs and monkeys is that we are the only known uh, mammals that don't produce our own vitamin C. We have all the genetic uh, equipment to do so, but there's a mutation in one of our genes that makes a certain enzyme 
called L-gulonolactone oxidase. And because there's a mutation in that, one specific area of vitamin C synthesis, our liver can't do it. If we were to compare the amount of vitamin C that your house cat uses on a regular basis, it's mm -hmm. about, I believe it's 15 times the amount of vitamin C that's, that the RDA recommends. If you were to look at a goat that's your size, a goat uses 13,000 milligrams per day when they're healthy, and they need 100,000 milligrams per day when they're sick. Wow. So you could see that you know, the wild animals are producing large amounts of it and they can ramp up what they need by 100% or 300% if they need to. Whereas we're just pretty much stuck with what, we're, what, with, what, with what we eat. And I do really believe that that's what makes us and guinea pigs so susceptible to disease. And it's why they use guinea pigs in laboratory research is because they're as susceptible to many diseases as we are. And I believe that's the reason. Ah, okay. Now, so... Um the body needs it for a whole host of um, for a whole host of of things, as you just alluded to. But what is also the most beneficial source of vitamin C, and and why? Okay. Well, if you're just going to eat a healthy diet, you'll get some vitamin C. So it's not like you can't get vitamin C in the diet. And one of the you know camu camu is I believe it's a root, and it comes from the Amazon. Or, or no, I think it's a it's a fruit, isn't it, from the Amazon rainforest okay. people? I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, root I know that or that's fruit, where it comes from, and then they but, dry it out into a powder that's extremely expensive and tastes vile. Yeah, okay. yeah, I've had <laughs> but it. You can get the whole vitamin C complex in Camu Camu, so that's an option for people who really want to go the natural route. You know, aside from that, you know, you can just Google high vitamin C containing foods and find out for yourself where there's mostly vitamin C and eat a lot of those foods. But wouldn't those, even those would have to be organic, wouldn't they? I mean, because when you think about the pesticides and you're eating these fruits or these foods, if they're loaded with pesticide, isn't that kind of like undermining? It kind of would negate the effect because you would need the vitamin C in those fruits. To counteract? To, to, yeah, to counteract the damage that's done by the pesticide. So, of course, you always want to eat organic when you can. And even when you're eating organic, you really want to make sure you scrub the outside because organic does not mean that there are no pesticides. Mm -hmm. What do you recommend scrubbing it with, incidentally? Well, there, there's, you know, there are certain... Um, commercial products that are available. I believe some of them use grapefruit seed oil. Uh, there are some other people that have these alkalizing machines in their home, and when okay. you get the acid runoff from that, that's a very effective way to do it. There are ultrasound machines that you can what use. What about just hydrogen peroxide in water? Is that okay? I do believe that does do something, although I'm not 100% certain. Okay. I sometimes just use, you know, my dish soap diluted a lot in some warm water and that gets off, you know, seems to a get lot off of the a residue? lot of the residue that, that you can see anyway. Yeah. Okay. So, so fruit, but we're saying, and, and these other foods, but you'd need large amounts of them. Exactly. Large amounts. And, and so when you're sick, I don't believe you can get, you know, when I think when the average person has a flu, mm -hmm. an adult-sized person, even kids, you know, I've seen teenagers requiring 20 grams of sodium ascorbate per day for a few days when they're sick, and you just can't get that in food. I don't know of a way to get that in food. Yeah, yeah, that's a large amount. So then, so what's the best source then if, you, if you're not going to get enough from your food? Right. Well, there are a lot of different formulations of ascorbate out there. You've heard of uh, ascorbic acid. Mm-hmm. And ascorbic acid is fine if you want to take the crystalline form of ascorbic acid. The problem some people have with that is that it upsets their stomach and it's very acidic. So there are buffered um, ascorbates. 
the one that I prefer for people is sodium ascorbate. And I prefer this even in people who have high blood pressure because the amount of sodium is not important um, when you look at the milligrams. And there's no chloride in it, just sodium ascorbate. So I, that's my number one recommendation for the, the type of ascorbate to use if, I, if we're using the, the less expensive ones. The one, number one I would tell you not to use mm -hmm. is the one that's most available at any store you go into, which is called Ester C, and it's calcium ascorbate for a couple of reasons. One is that if you're taking mega doses, you don't need all that, all that calcium can be toxic. And the second reason is that there's evidence to believe that the metabolic byproducts of that are toxins. And so I do not recommend calcium ascorbate under any circumstance. And that was really touted to be like what we should all be taking some time ago. You know, you saw this. Uh, well, that's because there's a misconception that people need calcium, that adults need calcium. Mm -hmm. Now, most, most osteoporosis does actually not stem from lack of calcium. It's it stems from lack of vitamin C. It's scurvy of the bone. And I've written an article on this on my website, which you can read, drsuzanne.net. Great. And uh, you can read more about that. But and of course, a misconception on the amount of calcium that we need. Yeah, and D3 and magnesium. And K2 I... is another thing that we need for, to prevent osteoporosis. But yes, magnesium is much more important for us as, as aging people. Mm-hmm. Excellent. All right, so, so not the ester C. Um, but all right, so there's another kind that I want to talk about today, uh, the liposomal. Right. But first I want you to describe to listeners what are liposomes. Okay. Well, our cells are all made up uh, on the outside, the, the coating of our cells, the cell membrane, are made up with phospholipids, and they're water-insoluble, essentially. So what liposomes are, are pho they're phospholipid spheres that are made, the way we make liposomal is... And you can, doesn't, you can do liposome vitamin D. You can liposome uh, colloidal silver. You, you Could you can, liposome glutathione? Yes. Okay. In fact, that's really the only way you should eat it because it, it just gets negated in the stomach acid otherwise. So what liposomes are, they're um, polar molecules, so they're not water-soluble, so they're not digested in the stomach. They pass it through the... St and, and, and so in the center of these uh, lipid molecules is whatever you want to put in there. In this case, we're putting uh, some sodium ascorbate is what... So this is a fat molecule, right? Yes. And we're putting the sodium ascorbate right in it? Right. So it's a, it's a fat compound. So there are all these molecules in a sphere, and in the very center of that is, is, is what you desire to have put into the body. And so that goes into the stomach and passes through the stomach. And then once it hits the small intestine, it doesn't need any transporters to get into the body. It then just diffuses passively into the body very rapidly. And then once it's in the body, it can then diffuse passively into cells without any transporters because it's like dissolves like, remember? So that yes. phospholipid membrane can, can basically melt, melt its way into the cell membrane and into the center of the cell where the ascorbate is actually needed. So it's a very efficient way to get the ascorbate where you need it. Now intravenous vitamin C is also an efficient way. However, you first have to put it into the blood and then it has to diffuse into tissues. So when you use, when you use liposomal, you're essentially bypassing the phase that can be potentially the most toxic and We'll talk about potential toxicities, but also then it just it just bypasses that intravenous phase and goes right to the tissues, which is really where you want it. That's great. But now I have a question. Let's say somebody has digestive disorders or they have digestive problems. Can they still absorb the liposomal? They Will can, it still be effective? Because it doesn't require any enzyme and it doesn't require any oh, particular right. transporters. It's just a complete passive diffusion because of the principle of like dissolving into like. 
So it doesn't even matter. If you, and this isn't going to cause any kind of diarrhea, you know, like we're high dose when you're taking a lot of ascorbic acid for some people. They'll start to get diarrhea as a result. It doesn't cause diarrhea the way that sodium ascorbate causes diarrhea because it's only about 15% absorbed. Liposomal is 95% absorbed, but that doesn't mean you can't get diarrhea from it. I've seen diarrhea happen in liposomal, but it only happens once you've finally gotten those body tissue stores up to where you want them and the patient starts to recover and they're not no they're no longer chewing it up hand over fist then you'll get one orange stool and you know that you've hit that threshold and that you can, you can taper off and back off and watch and wait for a bit but there's no toxicity but that's actually it's an indicator so i don't consider the diarrhea that comes either from the sodium ascorbate or from the liposomal to be a bad sign or toxic it's actually an indicator and it, there's only one episode even from the sodium ascorbate it's not painful it's not crampy and the same with the um, with the liposome. So don't freak out if you make this and you see an orange stool. It's like just know that you've hit your limit and you can back off. For adults, it'd be very unusual. I've only really seen this happen in infants and children when they really it's when I'm treating whooping cough when I've really seen them that they've had enough and they're, they're, the course of their disease turns the corner and they're no longer chewing it up and that's when we see it and that's we get happy when. Yeah, when that that's an indicator that it, <laughs> right. you're on the right that it's worked. Exactly. Excellent. So okay, liposomal C. How can, can uh, to buy it can be cost prohibitive for some people, mm -hmm. and there are many places people can find it online. Right. So um, what about making it? Okay. Well, first let me just tell you about buying it online, because if okay. you buy it online, you know you're getting a standard product. There's only one lab that makes it, but there are many distributors. It costs about $28 for a 30-pack, and that's, you know, if you're acutely ill, that's probably a, one pack, one box might be enough. and it would and the lab we I think we can say it's live on labs right, right that's exactly. the only one l-i-v-o-n uh, however if you have a chronic disease or you tend to use a lot of it if you've got a big family or I mean I give it to my dogs my cats so I like to make my own um, I would like for people to, to, to go to YouTube or to Google making their own liposomal and to get the exact recipe because I, I really don't want to give it out over the over the radio because I want to make sure people really get what they actually need and follow the procedure precisely. Mm -hmm. um, so, but the, the equipment that you need are very basic, simple things. One of them is a blender, and it's it's better in my opinion if you have a really powerful blender. So either a Vitamix or, or want something like that. Although you don't necessarily have. You to could have still equipment. use it I with a regular blender. With with a stronger blender. Okay. The other thing you need, and this is the key, is is you need an ultrasonic jewelry cleaner. That's mm -hmm. never been used for jewelry cleaning mm -hmm. you just, because you don't want uh, the stuff that comes off of the jewelry to be in that basin and potentially be liposomed. Right. And another extremely important ingredient you need is very pure water. So when you say very pure water, alkaline water, distilled water, um, t uh, if, if you have a well that's been tested and the well water is, you know, within normal limits right i think you could filter and boil well water and be okay with that some people have taken spring water and just put a quarter um, a silver quart a silver dollar in the bottom of it and the, the you know the silver they think is enough i'm pretty much a purist because i think that that water is going directly into your cells without any processing through the the natural mechanisms so i distill my own water okay and i do it that way 
I think if you're going to buy bottled distilled already, you're, you're subject to having the plastics from the distilled water in them, and that's something you always want to think about. Mm-hmm. So probably if, if you can't distill your own water, then you want to get either really good well water, spring water, filtered and boiled for at least 10 minutes. Okay. All right. So either of those, filter them and then boil them. Right. And then cool it off before you use it? Yeah, you have to cool it right, off. Right, you have to cool Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. And... Um, so is there a particular website or a, or you think the on YouTube where they have these, is there anybody that you can think off the top of your head that where it's like, yeah, this is this is the right There's way to do it? There's one guy called a math genius who has a good recipe okay. that I use. And it's, it's a cute little video, and you can uh, look at that. But there are other ones. If you go to the, I believe it's the Vitamin C Council, they also have information. Okay. And that's on the Internet. The other things you'll need are sodium ascorbate. And you want to get a non-GMO sodium ascorbate, and you want to make sure it says it on the label because some brands that used to be non-GMO now are using GMO. So that to me is very important that you don't want a GMO having direct access to your cells. Um, the other kind, so the, and then you also want lecithin. I, I use soy lecithin sometimes. Uh, if someone has an allergy to soy, you definitely don't want to use soy lecithin, and you'd want to use sunflower lecithin instead. Mm-hmm. Sunflower lecithin is a little more difficult to work with because it's a, it's a, it's kind of like um, it's molasses, goopy, right? Yeah, it's goopy <laughs> and goopy. it's real sticky, right? And you don't need that much of any of these things in order to make the liposomal compound because it's so efficient, and it basically makes about 200 mLs when when all is said and done. Okay, so this is something people can learn and do for themselves at home inexpensively. Inexpensively, right. Once you put the upfront cost in for the, uh, I basically got my uh, blender, I got used on eBay for about $140. It's an old Vitamix, it's stainless steel. Oh, that is fantastic. I think you're better off with the stainless steel than you are with the plastic. That was great. Yeah. And then the ultrasonic jewelry cleaners, you really shouldn't pay more than 35 or $40 for. If you, you can find those on Amazon. Can you use ascorbic acid? You can use ascorbic acid. The thing is, is that it'll be very acidic. And even the, with the company that makes their own liposomal, they don't use ascorbic acid. They use sodium ascorbate. They use the sodium. And I think you really don't want to put something that acidic, again, directly into, into your cells. If you do use ascorbic acid, there are um, recipes for neutralizing the ascorbate with with aluminum-free baking soda. Mm-hmm. You basically do that on a one-to-one um, weight-for-weight neutralization. So you could, so because ascorbic acid is sometimes easier to get right off of a co-op shelf, isn't right. it, than sodium ascorbate? Well, our co-op has sodium ascorbate and ascorbic acid, both non-GMO brands. So someone has their has their thing. Oh, that is great. Belfast, yes. Yeah. So. Okay, that is great. So sodium ascorbate is preferred. And so those are all the ingredients, and people can get them at the co-op. They can get them online. That's right. They, the co-op also sells the, the now brand soy lecithin, with, which is GMO-free. Okay. And it's inexpensive. About, it's about $10 for like a, it's like a 500 uh, ml size. Okay. Or they can get, I forget who does the, there's the organic sunflower it's right. organic and right. that's online and I know that I got a big tub of it right. and I was concerned that it was coming in plastic and she said we have everything in stainless steel we only do the plastic just before we ship it out and so she said change it all and put it in glass as yeah, soon as you get definitely. it well I bought mine in glass I got it from an online place called shaman's market 
Right. And that comes right in glass. Right. Yeah. And that's all right. Excellent. If you're just joining us, I am talking today with Dr. Suzanne Humphreys and um, at her website, drsuzanne.net. And we are talking about vitamin C. And right now we've been talking about liposomal C and how you can actually make it. You're listening to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and 99.9 Bangor. And, of course, we're streaming online at www.weru.org. Dr. Humphreys, how can one determine how much vitamin C they actually need? Okay. Well, probably first we should talk about what vitamin C can actually do in certain diseases Excellent. and what potential it has, what, what its healing potential is and why we need it in order to survive, not just to survive, but to thrive. You know, when uh, scurvy was first recognized, people were basically melting, you know, their connective tissues were coming unglued, they were falling apart, their teeth were falling out, their skin was falling apart, their hearts were, were basically splitting open. That's an extreme version of scurvy. But I believe most of us are walking around with subclinical scurvy that's manifesting either as heart disease, as high blood pressure, as chronic infections, as constipation or bowel diseases. I, I am hard-pressed to think of any disease that does not, it has not helped at least to some degree by using enough of the right type of vitamin C. And I used to laugh at this whole idea about vitamin C. Mm -hmm. And, of course, I was a medical doctor. Nothing worked unless it came in prescription form. Right, pharmaceutical. High doses like a hand grenade, right? But, you know, it's so, it's so deceptively simple, the fact of, that we're all walking around with some degree of scurvy, even if, though our teeth aren't falling out. That's amazing. And I it's have seen everything from glomerular diseases, which are severe kidney diseases, where the basement membranes are, are basically falling apart and protein is leaking out of there. I've seen that reverse with enough vitamin C. I've seen whooping cough in a newborn infant who are supposed to die from whooping cough mm -hmm. turn around in a matter of three weeks. Just from vitamin C therapy? Just from giving liposomal vitamin C. Liposomal, not even IV, you're saying? No, no, I never give IV vitamin C. No. I think if somebody needs IV vitamin C, I think there are some situations. I think hospitals ought to supply it, but there are some people locally that do IV vitamin C. Penny Shar is a medical doctor who right. does IV vitamin C. So uh, if somebody needs it, then they have a place to go. But I have never found personally in the people that come to me the need for intervitus vitamin C. So they can do it just orally? That's right. With the liposomal? That's right. There's every risk factor for coronary artery disease is addressed by vitamin C. So anybody who has coronary artery disease actually has focal scurvy of the coronary artery, art arteries. Uh, high blood pressure I've seen come down with enough vitamin C and vitamin D without doing any other intervention, taking people off of their medication. When you say D, are you D vitamin D3? D3. Okay, yes. so just the combination of vitamin D3 with liposomal C? That's and right. that brings that or high blood pressure? If people don't want to make their own... For, you know, for, for chronic, like when I take my vitamin C every day, I have my liter bottle of water sitting right here next to me. Uh -huh. I've got about three to five grams in there any, at any given time for my drinking water for the day. That's my baseline dose. So you have liposomal C in that no, one? No, sodium ascorbate. So you just put the sodium ascorbate? Because sodium ascorbate's cheap. You can get 2.2 pounds of sodium ascorbate for $38. Wow. Yeah, and you just you can give it to your pets. You know, it's it's just a really easy thing to use on a regular basis. And I think the liposomal is when you really need the extra boost. If you're really sick or I have a nephew who had daily nosebleeds. And again, because vitamin C addresses all kinds of vascular disorders, 
Mm-hmm. He started taking liposomal vitamin C. He took two packs a day for the first week, and he took one pack a day every day thereafter. And within one month, this kid had been having nosebleeds for years, almost every day. Within one mm. month, he no longer has any nosebleeds. And not only that, my sister took him to the ophthalmologist. He wears very thick glasses. Mm-hmm. One eye is much worse than the other, and the ophthalmologist was confused as to why his prescription needed to be lightened because his vision actually got better. And you attribute that to the vitamin C. I, well, there was nothing else that was done. And, you know, our eyes have a lot of collagen in them. And right. type 1 and type 4 collagen, you can't synthesize without enough vitamin C. And if you're eating a diet that's high in sugar and he's not eating very many fruits and vegetables and he has a high vitamin C need, right. th- that was the key for him. Now, we all have different needs, and that's, you know, to, to right. address your original question, is that our needs are all different. So it basically depends on what kind of a, a disease you're dealing with, what your underlying system is like, what your daily lifestyle is like. If you're a smoker, I mean, your needs for vitamin C are extremely high because you're constantly inhaling toxins intentionally. The rest of us are doing it unintentionally. So we need some. That's why I do about three to five grams per day at baseline for myself. So if you want to start with with just the cheap sodium ascorbate and find out what your needs are. And you're saying that's not an issue for people because people have high blood pressure. They're always told anything with sodium, stay away from it. And you're saying that's not so. No, it's only there's only about 10% of the total weight in sodium ascorbate as sodium. Okay. And I've never seen it cause a problem with either edema or the high blood pressure. In fact, I've only seen those two things get better after people take it. Now, if people are are concerned, they can just take ascorbic acid. But then they have the, you know, most people have high blood pressure also on acids and have stomach problems. And so, yeah. you know, you're really that acidity. juggling a lot of different things. Okay. So, no, I don't worry about the sodium component because it doesn't amount to that much. I mean, even if you listen to what doctors say about don't take more than 2,000 milligrams salt per day if you have high blood pressure, that still doesn't amount to anywhere near what you would get with my dose of sodium ascorbate. Of your three to five grams that you're and talking about. And I also about. don't fully believe in salt restriction for, for all hypertensives. Unless they're eating 10, 20 grams of salt per day, I think you're doing patients a disservice by... Removing by, salt from their diet? Right. And what, what they probably need to do instead of removing it is eating a healthier kind of salt, which would be a mineral salt, like a, the main sea real salt. Real salt? Redmond's real salt? Or, right. Okay. Or the Himalayan sea salt the is all right. Or Celtic salt things like okay. that. Right. So... Things that vitamin C can uh, make a difference in are enormous. It's a, the list is so long because vitamin C basically probably has over 300 functions in the body. But some of the things that, that it can impact and diseases that um, are at least exacerbated, if not initiated by low vitamin C levels, include coronary artery disease, mm-hmm. high cholesterol, because high cholesterol basically is a result not of... Uh, High, high cholesterol doesn't cause coronary artery disease like a lot of people think. And to give your patient a, a cholesterol-lowering drug to lower that cholesterol is a complete disservice because that cholesterol is walling off toxins, and that's its purpose. Right. Okay. So if you take that cholesterol level down, the toxins get released, and that, that's one of the reasons why people feel like sicker after they take cholesterol drugs. But if you okay. give vitamin C and you neutralize the toxins that way, they don't need that cholesterol, and the cholesterol naturally comes down. And the trick is always in any of these diseases is that there's a, every person has their own personal threshold of how much vitamin C they need. So it really depends on the, on the person that, that you know, has the issue. Like I mentioned high blood pressure already. Diabetes is another disease where insulin sensitivity is enhanced by vitamin C. The release of insulin is enhanced by vitamin C. And uh, vitamin C is necessary to make the molecule of insulin. 
Uh, there, cancer is another disease that even the American Cancer Society knows full well that cancer is a disease of toxins. It's a, it's a disease of certain pathogens, of radiation, of ultraviolet sun exposure. Vitamin C addresses all those issues. It also addresses the issue of metastatic disease because just like in the coronary artery disease where some of that problem is that the mortar that, that, that goes between our cells and holds them together breaks down because of lack of vitamin C. Well, the same is true of a tumor. You know, a tumor is held together by that same kind of cell-to-cell mortar. Mm -hmm. And if there's not enough vitamin C in that tissue, it'll break off and it'll metastasize. So that's So it will actually, uh, if not eliminate, it will at least decrease the possibility of metastasis. Right. So vitamin C is good for cancer prevention, but it also kills cancer cells preferentially over and above healthy cells. And that's one of the beautiful things about vitamin C. In high enough doses, and this is what Linus Pauling was getting at, but in right. my opinion, Linus Pauling was not using enough vitamin C. Well, he was he saying was 10 using, grams, right? Well, wimpy, yes. 10 grams is not enough. Okay. No, t 20 grams is barely enough in somebody who has influenza. A kid who has influenza sometimes. 20 grams isn't enough. So the doses that Linus Pauling were using were, were far too small. When you give enough vitamin C, basically the cancer cells are lacking a certain enzyme called catalase. And so do bacteria cells lack that enzyme. And what happens is when you put vitamin C in there, mm -hmm. it causes the, the, the iron inside of that cell and something called a Fenton reaction to basically make that cell explode and kills it. And, it, and it's while at the same time... It cell apoptosis. Exactly. It strengthens our healthy cells at the same time. It does that same thing for bacteria. Excellent. Because, they're, because there's, there are qualitatively different things going on in a bacterial cell and a cancer cell, and it has to do with that catalase enzyme mm -hmm. and the amount of iron and the kind of iron that's in there and what vitamin C does to it. So it's very clever in that sense. Um, so th those are some of the reasons why it's helpful in cancer. Now, there's, there are some cancer centers that have evolved to the point where they are actually using intravenous vitamin C at high doses alongside with chemotherapy. And there's a place called Oasis of Hope Cancer Treatment Center. I believe this is outside the USA. And they're finding 75% more survivors in breast cancer, 887% more survivors in lung cancer treatment, and 107% more survivors in colorectal treatment when they use the two together and you use them on opposing days. So in, in your estimation, anyone who has cancer is probably C deficient. Absolutely. And especially if you're on chemotherapy, because any, I think any kind of pharmaceutical drug depletes your vitamin C stores, but certainly a chemotherapy drug. Yeah. I and mean, that's just pure poison. I mean, that's, everybody knows it's poison. Right. You're trying to poison certain cells, but unfortunately you, have, you poison the whole body Everything. in the process. And so it's, not only is vitamin C helpful to restore the good cells in the body during chemotherapy, but it's also helpful to destroy it. Acts, it, act, it acts synergistically with the chemotherapy. Excellent. Yeah. It's, it's pretty amazing. I mean, I've really been so surprised because at first I started using vitamin C in high doses, just kind of with a wing and a prayer, not really expecting very much. And now I do it with great confidence. And I know that each person I give the right amount of vitamin C to with whatever problem I'm giving it for, there will be a major difference in it. Now, how, how, can you, how do you determine, though, what's the right amount? How can one know that? How much, like, how much is, is, is there too much? I mean, people get worried about this as well, that, you know, how, is there a too high of a dose? Well, I'll tell you, this is one of the reasons why the medical profession needs to wake up 
and needs to realize that the FDA is not doing its job in protecting the population. And the medical industry itself and the doctors in the medical industry need to know what I know so that they're able to answer that question. I can't, I can't tell you that right now because I assess each patient differently and there are certain signs that people have that show that they're more vitamin C deficient than others. And then I, I give them basically a test to start them off with, which I'll, I'll say to take, if it's an adult, I'll say to start taking two grams every one or two hours. And then I'll say, try to pay attention to how much gurgling you have in your belly. And then as soon as you start Is this liposomal? Nope, this is just sodium ascorbate. Just sodium ascorbate, okay. Sodium ascorbate, because I, I try to keep everything as inexpensive as possible. That's great, you because know, so that's... We always start with sodium ascorbate. It's cheap and it's very effective. Okay. And the more deficient you are, the more efficient your absorption is. So in the beginning of when, you're, when we're first starting to use the ascorbate, this is how I do it. So I'll go two grams every hour to every two hours. Wow. And then usually people get up around 10 to 20 grams in the beginning, and they say, okay, that was my dose. Now, if they're sick, it could be much more like I had a 64-year-old woman who called me, I think she was from Ohio, and she had whooping cough, and it was misdiagnosed, and she kept telling her doctors it was whooping cough, and they said, you can't have whooping cough, you're an adult, and you're not whooping. Well, sure enough, finally somebody did the test, and she had the, the, the bacteria, but in the meantime, they had diagnosed her with sinusitis and toxified oh, her with several antibiotics, oh, and she was still very, very sick. Well, it took her 60 grams of oral sodium ascorbate for several days before she finally had a loose bowel movement. Wow. So she was really, really depleted. So she was so depleted, her body just sucked that up like a sponge. Right up, and, but her clinical, her clinical disease turned around in a matter of days once she got the right amount of vitamin C into her system. That is amazing. It is amazing. The power of, of sodium ascorbate. I mean, this is like right. unbelievable almost. She kept almost. emailing me saying, I haven't gotten there yet. I'm not there yet. I'm still was up to 40 grams. Can you believe that? And yet you can believe that because our, our bodies need much more than that, especially when we have a disease that's utilizing it hand over fist like whooping cough. So all this fear mongering over a high dose vitamin C is, uh, is ludicrous. It's absolutely ludicrous. There are, there are two major arguments that come at me about my use of high dose vitamin C. And I'll address each one of them now. Okay. The first one is the potential for kidney stones. Well, I'm a right. nephrologist. I'm a, I'm a kidney specialist. I know a lot about kidney stones. I've treated a lot of kidney stones. I know the myriad of, of factors that go into kidney stone formation. And one of them is oxalic acid secretion. And taking vitamin C will increase your oxalic acid secretion in the urine. But there is not one study out there that demonstrates that that increase in oxalic acid formation leads to kidney stones. Amazing. Because kidney stone formation requires, for oxalate stones anyway, an acidic urine and a concentrated urine and urine low in citric acid. So what I do as a precaution, just to get these people off my back, mm -hmm. is I have people that are on vitamin C that there's any family history of stones or any concern about stone formation, I have them stay well hydrated, alkalinized, and getting some citrate. I put, just put lemon in the water. That's it. Lemon in the water al to alkalize them? Lemon in the water will alkalize them, and it will provide them with... It's one of the treatments we give people for kidney stones for prevention. Lemon, lemon in, in water? water. Lemon it. water? J how much lemon? About a, maybe a half a lemon in a liter of water is plenty. 
a half a lemon in a liter of water will alkalize you. That's right. So you don't have to take like gobs of baking soda. Like I've also been reading some of this where you take a tablespoon or a teaspoon of baking soda and water to alkalize your system. You're telling me. You can me, do it with baking soda, but it's very salty and it makes you very thirsty. I, the, my second favorite well, it tastes awful. Do it is, it tastes <laughs> awful, is with apple cider vinegar. You know, you can make salad dressings with it. You can put, pour it on your greens and, you know, you so can. So apple cider vinegar, vinegar also will alkalize. What about if you've got like yeast overgrowth? Is that such a good idea to use the apples I, I mean I get confused about the different things that I have read in that venue mm-hmm. about if you have yeast overgrowth in your body as many people who have been on a lot of antibiotics mm-hmm. do right. or the the sad diet the standard American mm-hmm. diet which is loaded with um, well chemicals and petrochemicals mm-hmm. and sugar um, they but you think it's is it still or is so which way do you go if you have concern about that do the lemon I suppose if you really believe that's a problem, you can do the lemon. But I don't, you know, I look at these um, these anti-candida diets, and I look at the way even some more natural practitioners approach candida, and it doesn't make any sense to me, and it's never worked in my hands, any of these anti-candida, like saying not to take fermented foods if you have candida. Well, if you have candida, what you need are certain cut types of fermented foods. You need lots of probiotics. Probiotic. You, need, you, need, you need to alkalize your system. You need to get enough vitamin C in your system, enough vitamin D to get rid of the caffeine and to get rid of the sugar. And that will have a big impact on candida. To me, candida is, oh, I've got candida on my fingernails or I've got a vaginal yeast infection. Well, no, you actually have a systemic candida problem that needs to be addressed. And limiting just one particular thing isn't going to make a huge difference. And I, I don't believe that not giving acetic acid which is what apple cider vinegar is, mm-hmm. is, or I should say, I don't believe that giving it is, is going, going to harm them. Is going to harm them. But if there's any concern about it, I would say to go with the lemon water. But so from, so addressing it from that standpoint, if you're just saying, yeah, you can, the lemon, you just want to alkalize the system, well, period. You want, what you want to do is alkalize the urine. Right. Okay. But first you have to alkalize the system and then that excess alkali gets dumped into the urine. And so that's how that works. And we used to measure pHs of 7 and 8 in urines of people who have had enough either um, if we gave them citrate tablets or we put the cheaper ways to just to do it with lemon because there's citric acid in lemon. That is great to know. That's yeah. great for listeners to know. That is like so inexpensive. Everybody can do that just right. by a lemon. That's right. If you've just joined us, we're having a conversation. I kind of segued a little bit um, to yeast overgrowth, but we're actually talking about vitamin C and all of its uses. And my guest is Dr. Suzanne Humphreys, and her website is drsuzanne.net, D-R-S-U-Z-A-N-N-E.net. You're listening to WERU Community Radio, 89.9 Blue Hill and 99.9 FM Bangor and webcasting at www.weru.org. Let's continue our conversation. So is there anything else that you would want to add to that, Dr. Humphreys, about um, vitamin C and, um, and, and, and what it can counteract? I mean, you've talked about heart disease, diabetes, Right. Whooping cough. Well, can we just let's can we stay on the topic of toxicity because I want to complete this because this is the major reason why people are afraid to take too much vitamin C. Yes, good point. And so we talked about the potential, um, the theoretical uh, exacerbation of stone formation. Mm-hmm. And like I said, if the urine is is there, is there, if there's enough volume in the urine and enough citric acid in the urine, which you can get through lemon water, there's virtually zero percent chance of of creating a kidney stone. Now, there's, if, if someone would like to find me a study that was a randomized controlled study that showed increased stone formation in people who were taking vitamin C, please do send it to drsuzanne.net because I'd love to see that. 
The other, and my email can, is, is on there, the other uh, potential concern is about, P and this is a real concern, and this is why I want to talk about it, because there are certain people who have a, an enzyme deficiency called glucose-6-phosphate dehydrogenase deficiency. Those people that are given certain drugs, some of the drugs which are used commonly in hospitals on a daily basis, without ever measuring the, the that deficiency level. in that enzyme, by the way. However, if you give unnecessarily high doses of vitamin C, you can potentially cause a hemolytic anemia where the red blood cells can break open because of deficiency in that enzyme. However, if you, and I did a very thorough review of the literature on this as well, and I wrote an article called Why is Nobody Studying Vitamin C in Whooping Cough? And I discussed this in detail, and it's on vaccinationcouncil.org website. When they looked at people who have this deficiency, what they found is that you could still give them six grams intravenous when, when they were not sick and not cause hemolysis. When they are sick, they tolerate much more because just like any sick person, they're going to be utilizing it much quicker. But the other interesting things is that there are many sulfa drugs and malaria drugs that are used on a regular basis all throughout the world with, people, with doctors never measuring glucose 6-phosphate dehydrogenase levels. And that's measured through a blood test, measured right? Measured through an easy blood test. So if, I, if, there's, if there's any family history of anemia, if there's any, um, there's certain parts of the world where this is more common, the Mediterranean areas and some parts of the Middle East, mm -hmm. then it's something to potentially think about if there's any anemia whatsoever. I think I've had one patient so far where I, I had a concern, and so I measured her level, and it, and it came back normal. So, you know, if I were giving intravenous vitamin C, I probably would want to have that right away. But if you're giving intravenous vitamin C, you're in a setting where you can do that pretty easily. Mm -hmm. You know, when I'm giving oral doses of vitamin C in high doses, I take a history, and we just basically monitor and I don't give more than somebody needs, so there's very limited, if any, risk of causing hemolysis with the doses that I'm using. Okay. <clears throat> so those are the two potential toxicities. Now, if anyone also would like to find me a drug in the PDR, Physician's Desk Reference, that has no known toxicities, please send that along to my website as well, because vitamin C has no known toxicities, even at high intravenous doses. So why, is the, why has the FDA not approved this right. for intravenous why use? Is that why then? are they clamping down on the intravenous use of vitamin C? Well, the FDA, I believe, has a vested interest in supporting the pharmaceutical industry. And if vitamin C were to be utilized for the patients that really need it, which would be just about every patient that comes into a hospital should be immediately started on vitamin C. If that were to happen, we would see a minimum decrease in the po hospital populations of by 50%. If we can 50%? By 50%. And if we continue to give vitamin C to people like you and me just on a regular basis, we would see almost none of the degenerative diseases that people are getting, this, uh, the osteoarthritis, the rheumatoid arthritis, the inflammatory diseases, the coronary artery diseases, the cancers, and the major diseases that are basically putting people on disability. We wouldn't see that. The workforce would flourish. The, the illness just with level vitamin would drop. C just with vitamin C. But having to take enough, to, people would have to take enough to... to um... Right. When people come in with, you know, meningitis, things like that, when these kids have meningitis, vitamin C right away would make a major difference if they were just given vitamin C to neutralize the toxins that are produced in some of these bacterial diseases and the, um, the integrity of the meninges in the brain that are basically opening up would make a major difference. But instead, people are blackmailed into taking vaccines and pharmaceutical drugs and things that are actually lowering their vitamin C levels and making them sicker. 
and have drugs some other additives, right? Some of these things have other, some of these pharmaceutical drugs actually don't come without their side effects and toxicants. There's, Is that correct? I've yet to find a pharmaceutical drug that doesn't have any side effects. Mm. And that includes even drugs that help people. So you're, so you're thinking that this is, let me understand this, you're saying this is more of a political issue than it really is a health issue. Absolutely. You know, there's a wonderful book by Dr. Thomas Levy. He's a medical doctor and he is an attorney and he was a cardiologist. And he wrote a book called Primal Panacea. And he, he dedicates an entire chapter to the politics behind uh, the uh, the. Vitamin C controversy? Well, the or pharmaceutical industry the, uh, and the deals that get made. You know, drugs can get fast-tracked through, through the FDA if a pharmaceutical company pays $1.4 million. Their drug could be fast-tracked through it. So if a drug can be patented, so what the dr- drug industries like to do is they like to find a natural substance, change it just a little bit to make a, a, a drug out of it, and then patent it and corner the market with it for a few years and make billions of dollars. With vitamin C, nobody's been able to do that. It's, it's actually been around long before patents were even done. Vitamin C's, there are, there are plenty of studies. And actually, Dr. Thomas Levy's book has probably over four or 500 medical literature references to all these diseases I'm talking about and studies that were done in the 1930s, 1940s, and some of them even more recently, showing everything from polio to snake bites to high blood pressure to coronary artery disease reversing rapidly. Just with vitamin C? Vitamin C. And the trick is enough because a lot of the studies that you read from the 1930s and 1940s show that it was equivocal and that maybe more studies need to be done, but they're using 300 milligrams. That's not enough. That's simply not enough. They need to use, you know, 50 times that, and they probably would have seen a major difference. There was a doctor named Frederick Klenner in the 1930s, and he cured 60 out of 60 cases of poliomyelitis with intravenous vitamin C. Whether it was the most severe kind called bulbar, where the brainstem is involved or not, Mm -hmm. he turned them all around in a matter of 72 hours. Just with the vitamin C? Just with vitamin C, because not only is vitamin C an antitoxin, and a lot of the poliomyelitis was caused by DDT and arsenic at the time, but also the stuff that was viral, there's no better antiviral than vitamin C. In fact, people with shingles and herpes virus infections Vitamin C in, in, in immediately neutralizes and kills herpes viruses upon con- contact. So if people say, me, should I, say to me, should I go get a shingle shot, Dr. Humphreys? I say, no, you, what you should do is just keep your vitamin C levels up high because you already have shingles in your body. Why do you want to put more shingles in your body with a load of formaldehyde and potentially mercury as well? So you, so you would counsel them to take the, the two grams potentially every, every hour or two um, when they're in a critical If they phase. have an outbreak, they would want to take high doses, but on a regular basis, elderly people should be taking a baseline dose of vitamin C. And what do you consider a ballpark baseline dose? I'd doses? say a minimum of 2,000 milligrams per day. So that's two grams. Two grams. So at least two grams a day, a minimum. Right. This 500 milligram dose, you know, as Dr. Levy's book shows, all the studies that used doses of 500 milligrams, there was no change in coronary artery disease. There was no change in the chronic illnesses. But once you get up above 2,000 milligrams per day is when you start to see differences. And I think sometimes could that be why we hear on the other side of this um, where people say, well, there's not enough study. Um, You know, it's because they're looking at the low dose, the studies where they're just simply not using using enough vitamin right. C to all, make a difference? All the old controlled studies that were done in the 1930s and 1940s, which is why people don't do them anymore because they've given up saying that it's not a, a functional therapy, is be, it, they were using very low doses. Nobody was using anywhere near the doses that were allowable 
And you know, one of the things I wrote in one of my articles is that when it comes to whooping cough, I would think performing such a, a randomized controlled study, in my opinion, would be actually unethical because you would be depriving half of those children with whooping cough of the dose of vitamin C that could potentially save their lives. I've, not yet, I've yet to see a case of whooping cough not respond to vitamin C. By orally? With no antibiotics whatsoever, orally. Just with oral vitamin no C. No matter what the age, oral vitamin C, either sodium ascorbate or liposomal vitamin C, has been making a difference. And this is not just through me. I learned this through other people. But people have been doing this all over the world for decades. So um, do you find that it's done more out of this country than in this country? I'm not really sure about that. But I know it's been done in New Zealand for quite some time. And, and that's a, it's a well-known therapy in New Zealand. Things like swine flu, you know, people have concerns about these superbugs, all of these things. you think that could be eradicated just through the vitamin C use? Well, you, you don't eradicate the organism, but what you do is you limit the ability of the organism. You, you, you decrease the susceptibility of the population by having enough vitamin C and vitamin D. I mean, studies have shown, you know, there was a randomized controlled study done, a Canadian study on kids, and they gave half of them vitamin D3 and the other half not, and they found that there was a significant difference in the amount of influenza sickness that these kids had. So these vitamin C, if, you're, if you get sick, absolutely you need to take enormous amounts of it in order to neutralize the toxins that are being produced and the viruses that are invading. It's amazing. I want to ask you on a personal note if you'll respond to this. What made you um, go holistic? Well, I was actually raised going to chiropractors. My mother always took me to, the, to go to the chiropractor. And they always helped me, but for some reason I wanted to become a medical doctor, and so I went through medical school, and it was, it was very exciting, you know, learning all about the anatomy and the human body and physiology and biochemistry. You know, I really loved that. And once I got into the hospital, it was, it was very depressing because what I would just see would be so many cases of people just, you know, leaving for a short period of time but coming back. And so they were always returning? returning especially these autoimmune diseases were really what disturbed me the most are these people with autoimmune diseases and they, they kept getting giving them vaccines and I kept thinking why would you want to give a vaccine to somebody who already has an autoimmune disease and I kind of just kind of put that on the back shelf and kept going with my training for a few more years and over time it just started to become very clear to me that while there is a small percentage of people that do benefit from conventional medicine and really do need it in the moment that most people should really put it on the bottom of the list of, of their go-to list for when they get sick because what happens with these drugs that you give people is that they all have side effects and they suppress symptoms very effectively but there's always a price to pay and I started to see that price that people were paying. I was a kidney dialysis doctor so, you know, yeah. so I got to watch people with all the therapies I had in my toolbox continue to get sicker, continue to have need more high blood pressure medications. Their diabetes would lead to um, eventually coronary artery disease and it would lead to amputations. And when I started implementing the holistic measures that I like to do, I started to feel that my livelihood was threatened. And so I decided to just leave the system altogether. I've spent almost a year and a half now writing and reading about vaccination and developing my skills as an alternative holistic medical doctor and using these things. And I have to tell you, I'm, I'm floored at how successful they are, that how easy, it's deceptively easy what you can do with people with discontinuing their old bad habits, getting their nutrient levels proper, and getting them eating a good diet. 
Well, that's what a lot of the functional medicine practitioners, Jeffrey Bland, who started the functional medicine movement out, I think, Gig Harbor in Washington State, Mm -hmm. and Dr. Mark Hyman out in the Berkshires, Mm -hmm. who um, talks about, I mean, these are, this is like functional medicine, because it talks about these things that almost seem too simple, you know, I mean, we hear this over and over in the literature about food and exercise, but you're an advocate for supplementation because you're saying, you know, we're just not getting it in our food anymore. My, is that, I don't want to put I'm words in your mouth. I'm an advocate for Like, I, I really don't like to see people coming in and dumping out buckets and buckets of, of even, new, you know, uh, vitamins that they're taking. I really think that most of it should be targeted. But when it comes to vitamin C, absolutely, because we're all deficient in the enzyme that helps us make that. And we're all deficient in vitamin C. So I do believe that we all need to be taking some degree of that. But aside from that, I think that that supplementation in chemical form should be targeted and the rest of it can be done through diet. So would you say for supplementation, specifically vitamin C, and then you also spoke a little bit, we talked about vitamin D3. Right, you well, think especially that's where a- we live. I mean, if we lived in Ecuador, none of us would need vitamin D3. But because of where we live up here in Maine, uh, there, you know, there are various ways that you can get it. I mean, you can actually even get it in a suntanning booth, but there's a price to pay for that too. Right. So in the summer, I get out and I get as much as I can every day because the other dis- misconception is that the sun is going to cause you to have skin cancer. Well, the sun will only cause you to have skin cancer if your susceptibility to cancer is high, if you're eating a garbage diet, if your vitamin C and vitamin D levels are too low, and if you're really burning to a crisp, which is not what I'm recommending. I'm recommending just to go out to get a little bit pink. Moderate amounts. On as much of your body as you can because my face and neck are aging, I cover that up and I just leave my arms and my belly and my legs out to get my vitamin D. But in the winter, we need supplements. And, you know, one of the things I like to do now is I recommend for people to do a fermented cod liver oil because you get probiotics with that, you get the omega-3s, and you get the vitamin D3 in that as well. I think the Radiant Life Company is one of the people that, this is like a Weston Price type right. of thing, the Weston Price Foundation, because they're mm-hmm. big on the fermented cod liver right. oil. Right. The fermentation, because fermented foods are so good for the gut? Exactly. And the gut is 70 to 80% of our immunity is located in our bowels. If you were to dissect an abdomen, you would see so much lymphatic tissue would blow you away. Not only that, the, the, there are more nerves in your bowels than there are in your brain, and there are more, lymph, more lymphatic tissue in your bowels than anywhere else. And the health and integrity of the bowel wall is dependent upon the uh, microbiome, the the bacteria that are living in there. And most everybody has had an antibiotic either given by a doctor or in the food that you're eating. So that's mm-hmm. why we really all need to keep that up. But we, I think getting vitamin D levels checked for people who tend to get a lot of illnesses in the winter or have had a cancer of some sort need to get a vitamin D3 level checked in the winter. Most insurance companies paid for it. And if they don't, it costs about $60 to have done by one of these other companies. And it should be kept between 60 and 80 yeah, and there is uh, Life Extension, that, uh, that group, where you, they'll do the blood work if you join that group. Um, I believe that they have special sales for blood work mm-hmm. that you can go right to a lab. So there are a lot of ways. I, I mean, because healthcare, access to health care is, a, is a, a real challenge for some people in the state of Maine. Right, exactly. And so they have to look at where they're putting their health care dollars as well. Right. Um, what else would you like to share with listeners about um, what they could read, what they might want, other websites uh, besides your own? And again, I'll give uh, drsuzanne.net, D-R-S-U-Z-A-N-N-E.net. And um, what other? You mentioned Levy's book, Primal Panacea. Right. I mean, his, this, he has several books out, and a lot of them he has out about the dental work that's, that's you know, 
that he believes is problematic when it comes to heart disease, you know, the, the, the root canals especially, but also the mercury fillings and then just the general bacteria that can live in the mouth and gain access to the circulation. So he's written a few with, in conjunction with other dental surgeons on that. But the real book that, that you must, must have a look at is called Primal Panacea. It's an easy, fun read. Um, a lot of it at the end is, is um, references, but there's probably about 100 pages in here that are just so important. And um, it's Dr. Thomas E. Levy, MDJD. And I found this book to be really helpful because, you know, for a place to start, it's helpful. And then if you want to keep reading more, if you're a healthcare practitioner, it leads you to numerous references, which leads you to even more references. Because if you pull one of these papers up, you'll find that they've actually referenced other papers. And then you can go on to PubMed and you can do your own searches and find stuff from more recent as well. So I think this is really important. My website has a lot of information on vitamin C. I'm available if anybody has any other questions. I can do consults with you, um, either just short ones or longer ones, and, and help you get the dose that's necessary. But most of it you can probably figure out on your own because there's just so much in the age of the Internet, really. It's like... It's amazing, isn't it, what, what access we have Absolutely. with the Internet. Sometimes it's a matter of discerning, you know, what's F backed by the FDA and what's, you know, quackery and what's not, mm -hmm. you know. So it's sometimes a matter of opinion what's called quackery. I think that if something calls vitamin C quackery, you should definitely think uh, twice about that website because vitamin C is one of the most proven nutrients to combat just about all of the major diseases that are plaguing mankind today. Excellent. Thank you for that information. And in the few minutes that we have before closing, um, I, I just want to ask you, you're so passionate about the holistic medicine. I mean, I can just hear, hear it. And, um, and you're also, uh, you, you, do, you just came back, didn't you, from uh, where you did some public speaking, a presentation for another group down in, in Georgia. Right, right. So you're doing this throughout the country um, as well. And what, what is it that drives you? What fuels you? It's, it's the injustice that I once believed um, lock, stock, and barrel. And it's probably the damage that, that I've done in my career as a result of believing the injustice and the false teachings that were handed to me while I was an enthusiastic medical student. And my eyes really opened up when I started to see what was happening with the vaccination policies in the country. In the old days, if someone was sick, they wouldn't get a vaccine. You would always wait until people got better. But one of the things that really stirred me up was that people were admitted to a hospital and on their first or second day of hospitalization, often before there was even a diagnosis made, when they could have complete kidney shutdown or inflammatory diseases or sepsis, I saw a young man on chemotherapy getting a pneumovax vaccine and an influenza vaccine. And to me, that just seemed criminal. And I, I was unable to get these policies to change at all. And I was, I was told time and again that vaccines were safe and effective and not to interfere with what was going on and that smallpox was eradicated by vaccines and polio was eradicated by vaccines, and that I should just get over it. Well, at the time, I also believed that polio and smallpox were eradicated by vaccines because that's what we're told in medical school. But I made it my business to read everything I could about the history of smallpox and polio vaccines. And what I found out was completely counter to what I once believed. And thus, you have a book coming out to discuss this, and we'll have to have you back and continue this conversation. That's I'm right. really pleased to have you here as my guest. I've um, been speaking with Dr. Suzanne Humphreys, and we've been talking about vitamin C. And um, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you, Dr. Humphreys. Thank you.